Welcome to the RYR Endurance Team Podcast. We are grateful that you've chosen to tune in and listen. If you are a runner, aspiring runner, triathlete, or aspiring triathlete, you are in the right place. We love sharing what we know about these sports. If you like what you hear, you can always learn more by contacting us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or by visiting our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening. Good evening, Coach Paula. How are you? I'm doing great. How was your birthday yesterday? It was magnificent. Our birthdays are pretty close together. They are, but you know, you're older. Mm, You're double nickels also now. (laughs) Yes, but you reached that milestone first. I'm just a little bit ahead of you. (laughs) Always. (laughs) So tell our audience a little bit about your birthday. Well, I got up and it was raining, so one of the girls who was going to meet us and run texted and said it was raining, so she was going to bow out, so I didn't even check the weather. I just said in the group, well, okay, I'll just hit the treadmill. So I did 10 miles on the treadmill, which I have not run on the treadmill maybe all year. I can't remember running on the treadmill. So 10 miles on the treadmill was long and boring. And then I realized it really wasn't even raining, maybe a little drizzle and 50 degrees. So I could have met the others and gone running outside. But after that, we then went to church and helped assemble some little gift baskets that we were going to distribute for Christmas. And then you drove us around and we distributed some goods for some low-income families near the church. So that was fun. Yes, it was. And actually, you noticed that one of the families came to church today, so that was nice. As far as I know, that was the first time she and her daughter were there. Yeah, so that was nice. Yeah, it was. And then we came home, and you cooked, and the kids came over, and we just spent time together. I got a new pair of running shoes for my birthday, so that was exciting. And Jen and Kelly stopped by. They had a little book made that took a stroll down memory lane for all of our shenanigans and running trips and all the things. So that was fun. You and your girlfriends have been on quite the number of adventures Literally coast to coast. Exactly, and in costume. (laughs) Some of those costumes I haven't seen before. I don't know how that would be possible. You will. Maybe you haven't seen them on me, but... You still have them, don't you? (laughs) Well, my friend Lisa has several of them because she's running Disney in January and wanted to take my stuff and figure out what she's going to wear. But I still own it. I just don't have it right now. And then we took a journey down to the riverfront where our niece got engaged. That was quite the shock to get a text saying, hey, if you're available, come down to the river because Taylor and Kirk are going to get engaged and Taylor doesn't know about it. And that was exciting. It was super sweet. And they're kind of like us. Kirk was in seventh grade and Taylor was in eighth grade when they became boyfriend and girlfriend. We were both in seventh grade. So they dated a little longer than we did, though, because... I think they're 23 and 24 now, and we got married when we turned 19. Just barely 19. Yep, so now I uh, share my birthday with Taylor's engagement, so that's exciting. Yeah. Then we came home and watched Christmas movies, and I'm still sleepy. (laughs) 
We stayed up a little bit late on your birthday, which is unusual. Yeah, normally we make it till 8, 8.30 and we're done, but... Last night we were up to what, 11.30? Yeah. We have an athlete who's in middle school, and I often get text messages from her after I've gone to bed, so I guess my bedtime is earlier than a 12-year-old's. <laughs> when you were a 12-year-old, I'm guessing your bedtime was a lot later than it is now. Probably. <laughs> Probably. In the last podcast, you were asking me about uh, being a streak runner, and I would not say that I am a streak runner. After staying up so late last night on your birthday, I decided to take the day off today. Oh, there you go. But I had been running quite a bit over the last few months, and just coincidentally enough, it was 100 consecutive days. Wow. So today would have been 101. Yeah. But I I had a little tender spot on my Achilles yesterday, and I've had Achilles issues in the past. We stayed up late, so I didn't get as much sleep as I normally would have. So I thought this is a good day to take off because being on a streak doesn't mean anything compared to being able to continue training. And we've got a lot of things on the agenda in 2022. And being healthy is what I need to do. That is true. And it's kind of sad that I didn't really pick up on the fact that you may be on a streak until about two weeks ago. So if you've been going 100 days... I may or may not be very observant. (laughs) I typically get up before you get up and get my run done really early. I'm usually up, though. When I get back. That's true. Yeah. Anyway, I'm glad you're not so obsessed with it that you're willing to risk injury. Yeah. Well, we have a special guest on today's podcast. Yeah. Kevin Booth. Yeah. Kevin has a doctorate of physical therapy. And he is a certified strength and conditioning coach. And I've been meeting with him occasionally. He's been helping me through some issues and we've developed a friendship. And he's helped me to be able to run for 100 consecutive days. But we're going to focus on strength training in this interview because that's his passion. I know you in the audience are going to enjoy the conversation. Yeah, I think so. I learned a lot and I hope all of our listeners do as well. We'll bring Kevin on. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you all for having me. We're excited to talk today about strength training, but before we do, won't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Perfect. Yeah, my name is Kevin Booth. I'm a physical therapist by trade. Before I got into physical therapy school, though, I started doing a lot of training in strength and conditioning field. That's what some undergrad was in. And what took me to both of those fields was uh, my baseball career. I had very fortunate not to have any injuries while I was playing, but I learned a lot through those years, how to keep my body healthy, things to do, and I'm still learning. So evolving as a therapist, evolving as a strength coach. And and right now what I do is I work part-time as a physical therapist and I I work full-time for myself and my company, which is called Primitive Performance, doing uh, strength training, personal training. I have clients that range from uh, well in their their 70s to young kids that are my boy's age, which are nine and younger. And just a variety of things that I get to deal with and I enjoy it. So tell us a little bit about your baseball career, because you and I have known each other for a little while. I never knew you played baseball. Yeah, I, 
I played uh, locally at Owensboro Catholic, and then after I graduated, I had a family friend actually introduce me to the baseball coach at Brush University, and when I didn't really know where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do, he said, hey, I got a spot for you to play baseball. I said, sounds good to me. Let's keep it going, and uh, ended up at Brush University. Like I said, I have some really good friends there, and the things I learned while I was there took me to what I do now. I had the first year was a learning curve. I was 17 when I graduated, so I was really young. Between my freshman and sophomore year of college, I hit a growth spurt. I got into weightlifting a little bit more, arm conditioning. And like I said, the stuff I was doing at that time, I I didn't really know the programming that I do now. So it was a lot of trial and error with me. I long tossed uh, with my buddy who actually played college golf five days a week. He would throw with me, and then uh, he would hit golf balls. And I would actually, funny thing was, would catch pop flies with golf balls. So that was a... still working baseball, so at the ball field. And, and that was a lot of fun. It was just a, a fun summer to grow and learn. And, and looking back, it just made me understand what worked well, what worked well for me, and it may not work well for other athletes that I do. But, yeah, it was a good summer, and it ended up leading me to playing time my sophomore year and then being a first-team all-conference in region my junior and senior year, and then ultimately actually led me to play summer of professional ball and play several summers collegiately while I was in college so like I said a good good fun time and I learned a lot while I was there I had a coach my junior year his name was uh, Kyle George and he played at the University of Maryland and he uh, was an exercise science kinesiology major so he was doing his master's work I was studying undergrad physical therapy so we became good friends training partners and he got me into playing collegiate ball at the University of Maryland in the summers so it was a good mentor, a good uh, friend that I developed from those years on a, a bus. So what do you do for hobbies now? Well, I still, so I have a, a couple of buddies that, uh, oh, college buddies that we still play in a baseball league in Louisville in the summers. It plays on, uh, I play two nights of the week, one one day is during the week. So I don't go to the, those games, but I go up on Sundays usually and play. So it's a wood bat league, 18 and over. It's a lot of fun. But other than that, I mean, I got the the twin boys. So one plays soccer, one plays baseball. They both like basketball. So I, I, I spend time with trying to get them to do more stuff. Yeah, you're a busy guy. I try to. Keeps us young. I've always wondered what it would be like to parent twins. I, a lot of people ask that, and I wish I had some answers. But those are only two, so that's all we know. I will say, though, I have a we, – we had to take one to a doctor's appointment. And I reached in. I grabbed him out of the car. I grabbed the doctor bag, and I took off walking. And my wife's like, well, what do you want me to carry? I just assumed, like, you know, I'm used to the higher having to carry the other kids. So it does, you know, that was – we had a few moments there where we got to experience what it was just like having a single kid. <laughs> so we're going to talk about strength training. Before we get started, tell us a little bit about your strength training routine that you do frequently. So when I was in college, that's when I first started kind of understanding strength training a little bit more. And like I said, everything has evolved for me and it's still evolving. But I knew after I pitched, usually on a Friday night, that was our conference games. Come Saturday, I would usually do some type of running, mobility work just to not be sore. Monday, I would do a full body lift and probably do something a little lighter on Wednesday, get ready to throw again on the next Friday. Since I've graduated, and more recently, probably in the last five years, I actually got into uh, CrossFit style training, and now I'm kind of backed off of CrossFit. Not because any other reason than that type of training does take a toll on your body, just like you know you and I talked about with running. I knew I needed to modify my training, look at how I'm 
moving, make sure I'm moving well first and going from there. So I follow that CrossFit style, but I don't go with it at the intensity that you see a lot of other people do. My workouts may have a, a, a good general warm-up or a good specific warm-up, depending on the lift. I try to hit all major lifts throughout the week. And then if I want to do some conditioning, I may do what would be probably considered like a slow, steady day, but I may do rowing intervals. Walking actually has been huge for me lately. You know, just getting that that cardiovascular endurance. Biking, which on like a on a Schwinn, like an Airdyne, but they're called assault bikes. That gets the heart rate up really good in the lactic acid build up in the, the quads but like I said I probably strength train five days a week not everyone needs to do it that often but I'll have a day where I'll have a squat day I'll have a deadlift day or a hinge day I'll have an Olympic lifting day where I work on technique and movement and then I'll have like an upper body push and upper body pull day so those are roughly about five days out of the week okay so you have some some variety spread out to work different muscles and work them different ways. Absolutely. And what I try to do is I take the squat. For example, some people will take like a barbell squat and they may do that every Monday. I try not to let the same exercise come into rotation, at least for a few weeks in between. That way, you know, you're just getting a different stimulus. And a lot of times you get a different stimulus by not doing just the barbell. I may use a safety bar or I may use kettlebells like you and I use in the clinic. So I, or a landmine, I have different stimuluses, different tools or techniques to, to, to do the same movement pattern, just in a variety. So I don't have the same thing each week. So Paul and I coach runners and triathletes, so endurance athletes. So the direction we want to take this podcast is where does strength training fit in for endurance type athletes? Yeah, I think strength training specifically gets overlooked probably in your endurance athletes. And it may be different in the, like the, the trial world as I'm starting to meet more and more people that I know like my traditional runners, like their main form of exercises, uh, I run five, six days a week or more, you know, but strength training could have huge benefits. And there's actually been some studies that came out recently, not even about the strength aspect of it, but the, the benefits of strength training on cardiovascular health. They've done some studies independent of aerobic exercise. So they're actually looking at strength training from the heart standpoint, the lung standpoint, and the and the muscle tendon standpoint. Where I like strength training specifically for runners is, you know, you come into me, you have some overuse type injuries. And do you mind if I talk a little bit using you as an example, Dean? Go right ahead, Kevin. Perfect. So like when you developed a little bit of the tendonitis type symptoms in your Achilles, that tendon, it's not very thick, but it takes a lot of load bearing. And if you run five miles, that's roughly I know if you walk five miles, it's about 10,000 steps, so about 5,000 steps per side. Do you know roughly what it breaks down into if you run by how many steps? About five miles? No, not off the top of my head. <laughs> yeah, so it would. It, the point being is if that Achilles is loading left, right, left, right, and you're running for three to five miles and you're getting thousands of steps, that tendon has a capacity which it can tolerate. So strength training, we can do specific stuff to the Achilles to make it stronger. So A, it doesn't fatigue as quick. B, it's more adaptable to stresses and forces. And then what that does is it trains it in a manner that's beyond the run too. We can sometimes train through full ranges of motion. We can train more volume either with weight, reps, or sets. And those are just ways to make the, the tendon specifically the Achilles tendon, talking about that, more healthy. So 
when you break other exercises, they have abilities to to promote healing, recovery, and regeneration in the ankles, knees, hips. It's interesting you talk about strength training, improving your aerobic capacity. And I've never really thought about that from traditional strength training. Mm-hmm. You mentioned how you've done some CrossFit before. Absolutely. And that's a combination of strength and aerobic activity. I've always been concerned watching people do CrossFit that there's sometimes too much focus on speed and maybe not enough on technique. Mm -hmm. And last thing we want anybody to do is get hurt. So are there benefits aerobically for doing slow reps in strength training? Yeah, and that's actually one of the reasons why I kind of got out of CrossFit because a lot of times people are always trying to, you know, set up personal best, you know, not so much worried about form. And one of the things that I found out is by being more efficient with form, actually my endurance improved, my performance improved. But in terms of strength training for that, yes, absolutely. So you can do things as simple as pick two exercises. So, you know, we we take for you an example, you mean we may do like those cyclist squats that we talked about, it's a form, which is a form of squat where your feet are and heels are elevated, your legs are a little closer together. It's good for tendon health and quads, specifically the inner knee muscle, the VMO recruitment and development. So you may do a set of 15 of those. And as soon as you finish, you may go into a set of standing heel raises, working the calf, and you may do some 15 of those. So you've got probably 45 to 60 seconds, maybe under tension, you got the heart rate up, but both exercises are very safe, very beneficial. So yeah, you can improve that without doing the the Olympic lifts to fatigue. You can do things like the air dime that I have, like the assault bike. It really builds up the lactic acid in the legs. So what you can do is you can do a pre-fatigue set. It's where you kind of make the muscles a little sore. You could get on the bike and you could go at a brisk pace for 10 to 15 seconds. A, the heart rate's up. B, the legs are pumping. Then you step off and you may do 10 air squats or something. Once again, training that same muscle group. So there's a variety of things to do that doesn't have to be your, you know, your CrossFit style to allow it to, to have benefit in the aerobic capacity. So I know with strength training, there's different ways to approach it. You have things like a class like body pump where you might mm-hmm. be doing 50 to 80 reps, or you may go and work with a trainer who says, okay, I want you to put on the amount of weight where you're going to fail by the fifth rep. Do right. those do different things? I, I would say when when some of those things, like the body pump classes and stuff, that's more, a lot of those classes kind of get people in there. And I think this, this is kind of why people enjoy running a lot too. You get out of breath and you, and you sweat. But you know as well as I do, if the run is not programmed, then you may miss kind of the benchmark that you're trying to train. The same with body pump. And the only reason I say anything on those is, a lot of people go in there to sweat and breathe heavy, but you may see that their form is not there. They may not be able to tolerate a full body weight squat. For me, I like to first make sure that we can unload the movement. Can we move through a full range of motion in an unloaded movement? That means usually body weight. If not, then we break it down. We may look at, hey, do, does both your knees, do they flex fully? Do they extend fully? Do your hips flex up to your, to your abdomen? So then we can break movements down that way. As far as the output, yes, your higher rep ranges can be really well if you work at the full range. Your lower rep ranges can be re- do really well. They train the muscular system in general, but they also 
one will train more force production and the other, that being the lower reps, higher weight, the other one's going to train more of that muscular endurance side of things. So if we're talking about endurance athletes, the, the athletes that we work with, mm-hmm. typically very long races, you know, marathon right. is going to be, you know, somewhere between three and five hours. And then your full Ironman may be anywhere from nine hours up to 15 hours. Right. So which type of strength training would you say is most beneficial for athletes like that? That's a good question. I definitely think both types are good for that because like I said, when you're on a bike and you're going uphill, you're trying to produce more force, more, more Watts. So you do need a baseline of the ability to produce force. Now you don't have to do a true one rep max. There's ways to, I guess, do like a five rep max and that can give you good thing. Plus you're usually lighter weight. You're not taxing the nervous system. Central nervous system is crazy. And you got, you got a good understanding and there's calculators online to say, if you put in 200 pounds for five reps, it would give you a projected one rep max. Those are usually the safer ways to do it. But then again, like your joints, like your Achilles, your patellar tendon, stuff like that, those high rep ranges really work good for the cartilage, the tendons and ligaments. So having the capacity to work both is is really needed. But I know the thing that kind of scares people about getting into those higher, the higher weight is, am I going to injure myself? There is, there's, there's possibility. Yes. But there's possibility, you know, when you're doing so much repetitive stuff, injuring yourself as well. So what we, we look at is, A, are we moving well? B, maybe you need a coach to help the movement or to develop comfort to where you're putting that weight. And then C, if you don't feel comfortable with the barbell on your back, I have a tool that's a landmine and it's a, it's a swivel joint and you put the barbell in and you hold the barbell right here by your chest. So then you can load the barbell up that way and you squat down with the goblet squat. If you can't stand back up, you drop it, but everybody's safe. So there's, there's definitely tools to touch both ends of the spectrum and make people feel safe doing it. And I think that's the biggest thing, whether it's body pump or, or CrossFit, first and foremost, it has to be an activity that you enjoy. And then second, it has to benefit you. So we really want to focus on keeping athletes healthy. Would you say that it's safer for athletes to use the weight machines or is it safer to use free weights? I think when you're looking at kind of safety wise, if someone was in there not knowing like maybe how to do a proper lift, the the machines are going to be safer because there's only one movement you can do on it. But a lot of the machines are non-weight bearing. And then here all we are, we're in a, we're weight bearing for a large portion of it. So I think the machines are great. And I use them a lot for myself as accessory movements. I may use them to strengthen the tendons and, and, and isolation movements, but I think Free weights have greater impact on athletic performance. But once again, too, like we said, do you feel safe? Do you enjoy it? Those two are very important questions because if someone doesn't feel safe doing that, then we need to find maybe a machine that has more bang for the buck, like the leg press. The leg press does recruit quads, glutes, hamstrings, and calves. The hack squat machine, it's like a a machine you stand on, you put your feet on a platform, your back and shoulders are are supported, and you squat down and back up. So it's a form of a squat. So there are things to get more bang for the buck. But yeah, I said safety first, and and that includes making sure they move well, and then make sure the individual enjoys it as well, too. I've heard it said that running as an impact sport helps with 
bone mm-hmm. helps keep your bones healthy. Does strength training also help keep your bones healthy? Absolutely. I think uh, strength training, I don't have a study pulled up specifically, but I know they did a lot of studies on people who are bedridden and bone density. Strength training is one to really impact bone health. One, when you strength train, the bones are being affected because the muscles are pulling on it too. So you're getting muscle strength and you're getting bone strength. Both are are very good in developing bone density. I think, you know, where running is the same repetitive movement. I think strength training has alternative movements to stimulate bone health and bone growth in different variety of positions as well. So whether an endurance athlete is doing high reps or low reps at a higher weight, Mm -hmm. would you expect somebody to be sore at the end of their strength training workout (coughs) if they were doing it a couple of days a week? Yeah, soreness sometimes can be attributed to strength training. Usually soreness does not indicate though how good the workout was ideally as when i'm coaching somebody especially my athletes if they're sore after a workout that usually affects their next day of training so my goal is to slowly build them up to where they're not sore yes if you're new to squatting even if you you're a runner or cyclist you haven't squatted full range you could you are going to have some soreness at first but over time but that's just like you wouldn't implement strength training the week before a big race you would kind of do it building up to it and that's how we would do it we would build up to it yes you're going to have some soreness probably early on if you're new to the movements but after your body gets accustomed to it soreness shouldn't really be expected because soreness is not an indicator that you had a good workout we can reach those numbers do those exercises hit weights without being sore and as me for example i am a little sore this week because i implemented a new exercise and I implemented reverse lunges and they were very heavy. So I'm more sore from that. But up until that point, I've done the exercises for so long that it didn't really make me too sore. But if I vary it differently or I do something with more intensity, I will get a little more sore and I do expect that. But as for your runners, we could dose it appropriately to where they don't have that soreness because soreness, like I said, it can affect your next day training. And really we want it to enhance your performance and enhance your next day of training, not uh, not hinder it. Thinking back to your routine and then potentially the routine for endurance athletes, would you get to a point where you have a set amount of weight that you're using or a set amount of reps, or do you constantly need to be increasing to continue getting benefits? No, you don't have to necessarily constantly increase it. Like I said, you could do things you could vary things in multiple ways. One could be if you do exercises A, B, and C, your C exercise, you may be a little weaker this week because it's at the end of your workout, right? Next week, you may go C, A, B, and then that you go able to go a little heavier on that first one, but maybe the second one, you're not as heavy because you're doing it next. So those are those are ways to challenge you without necessarily having to go up and wait each week too. Now, yes, if you want to produce more force, you want to get stronger, there are ways to incrementally increase weight. And usually what I tell people is, let's say you have 100 pounds on a on a leg press or a barbell to squat. For my legs, I'll usually try not to make more than a 10% jump when I'm getting towards the end. That may be, if you're at 100 pounds, it may be going to 110, okay? So, you know, on the arms, other body, I may only make like a a 5% jump or a five pound jump sometimes. So I definitely use those kind of as 
guides. And just like with running or biking, you know, you have days when you go out and you may not feel yourself. It may take a little bit longer to warm up or get in the groove. I have those days with weightlifting. If I notice that, sometimes I just back off. I do a little bit more mobility work, prep work, and then I can get to the weights I need to move. But as a standpoint of you have to always add more weight, add more weight, add more weight. No, because we can vary it in so many different ways to challenge the person, to challenge the program. So if you have a client come in, we'll just hypothetically say this client's in their maybe early 40s and they've been an endurance athlete, maybe a runner for a few years, but they've never delved into strength training. Where would you start with that athlete? Usually what I would do the first day would be find out their goals, where they want to go, and what they're what they're looking to accomplish. But if after we already kind of established, you know, that baseline stuff, getting to know them, what type of mileage they're doing, and their goals, where I start is I start with a, a movement analysis. I watch how they're moving from their neck down, essentially. I'll have them look up, look down, side to side. Then I'll go to the shoulders, the back the hips and I'll look at like the squat and stuff and I'll split the squat down into a lunge and then I may see how they do a push-up because we got the lower body we got a squat we got a hinge and then we got the push-up for the upper body so it gives me a pretty good idea on the movement analysis to where we need to go from there and sometimes it may be nothing more than teaching them how to squat properly hinge properly or to do a push-up and ways we can do push-ups is we can start them against the wall if that's hard enough put their hands on a, on a desk or a, a table or a counter. So there's so many varieties of ways to break those movements down once I figured out what they need. But that's where we would start, trying to get a, just a general movement awareness, create a healthy relationship with the new exercises and the new movements. So if an athlete just wants to keep it simple, they want to incorporate strength training, but they don't have access to all the equipment, is there enough stuff they could do with maybe just bands and their own body weight to build the necessary strength? Yeah, absolutely. You can definitely build strength with minimal equipment. And one of the ways I was going to say that earlier is how we can vary things. We vary things by exercise order. We vary things by intensity. It may mean, when I say intensity, it may not necessarily mean more weight. It may be instead of taking a 45-second break between sets, it may be taking only a 30-second break. But one of my favorite ways to really vary the difficulty of an exercise without having a lot of weight is what are called like tempo like squats or like a tempo exercise. So with a push-up, I mean you may start in the up position where you're like kind of high plank. And a lot of people can't do a push-up like fully. So you may just be working on the lowering aspect of it. And I may have you lower to a five count. One, two, three, four, five. And then kind of like put your knees down, get back up into that plank position and go down. If they're able to do a push-up, it may be a five-second lowering and then explode up. So there's so many ways to vary the body weight that, yes, you can get a good strength training aspect to it with resistant bands kettlebells are probably my favorite just because they're they're small and they're so versatile and they come in a variety of sizes so kettlebells are good their bands are good but yeah body weight we can manipulate body weight a lot of ways it's probably still one of my most hated workouts is like a body weight style thing because it does challenge you in ways that you don't think it should so speaking of kettlebells, I uh, ended up making 
a kettlebell at home. Nice. Paula's shaking her head. I shake my head often. <laughs> That's okay. If I, if I can save a little money, I'll see what I can do. So Paula takes care of our swimming pool and she buys the pool chemicals. Well, I noticed one day that this chemical container, which was empty, was about the same size as a kettlebell. And we had bought our granddaughter, Ellie-Ann, a sandbox and we had extra sand. So I weighed out 10 pounds of sand into this small little bucket that had a screw on top and a handle. So I've got my home kettlebell at home. Perfect. Yeah. I think that, you know, when people get creative, you can find a lot of stuff around the house. You talk about string trading. A lot of people have backpacks around the house, old backpacks. Heck, you can fill that thing with a sack of potatoes, you know, or something in your pantry. And you can get adequate weight to do stuff, you know. If people start doing that, you know, they may find like a passion for for the gym and then they may want to get out and, and seek more equipment. But yes, there's so much stuff around your house that can be used for exercise equipment. It, it's, it's amazing once you start getting creative. Let's talk about the push-ups again. I used to do a lot of push-ups. I say a lot of push-ups. I would do push-ups daily and I was trying to build up the number of reps and I, I feel like I must have been doing something wrong because I, I ended up bothering a shoulder. Is there a, a right way and a wrong way to do a, a push-up when you're not on your knees? Yeah and um, did you bother the shoulder in the front? I think so. Do you recall? That's typically where most people will bother the shoulder with the push-up. To, to touch base on the, the push-ups with the knees, I don't like push-ups on the knees because it takes out the core aspect, but a lot of people can't do them on the floor. So that's why I said we have the wall, we have a high counter or a low counter till you build up to the floor. There is nothing wrong with using a wall for push-ups. There's nothing wrong. I have a 30-inch box that when I'm at the end of my workout, I will do sets of push-ups on that 30-inch box. It allows me to do more reps which is healthy for the tendons like we talked about. And it allows me to do more exercises for the chest without being as fatigued as I would on the ground. So push-up position, feet are going to be about hip-width apart. You're on your toes. And when I tell people to do push-ups, it's actually trying to engage the midsection, the glutes, and the quads. So if you're on a table or on the ground, your thumbs will kind of be right there in the armpits. That's where you want your hands to hit when you're down. The other thing you'll see too is my elbows aren't out this way. So like if my elbow flares, that's going to put a lot more strain right here on the front of the shoulder. By keeping your elbows in to where like if my elbows would look like that, like almost like forming a V from my head down, that puts a lot of the emphasis on the muscles, not the shoulder joint. So those are a couple of the positions that I look for is kind of getting like my head and then down to my elbows in a V. So when I'm there, if you looked at me from the backside, you would see like a V from my head to my elbows. And those are the positions that I tell people to think about. Okay. I feel like the way you explain that helps me understand how I'm doing my push-ups wrong. I, I feel like I have my hand position out too wide. And maybe yeah, and you can go and you can go wider. Sorry not to cut you off. You can go wider, but the key is how my elbows always stay in that V position. You don't want them flaring out because once you do that, it takes the shoulder and it just puts a little bit more strain right there in that joint. Okay. So keep your hands down around the chest level, mm -hmm. which yep. is going to keep your elbows bent. Correct. Yeah. I feel like I'm the queen of the T when I'm doing push-ups. Yeah. 
And a lot of people are. And what happens is it puts a lot of strain on the front of the shoulder. But then what also it does is it only allows you to use the small muscle of your shoulder, not your chest and not your triceps. You're only using like that small little part of that deltoid and the bicep sometimes. And that bicep sits right there in the front of that shoulder. And that's where a lot of people get achy from push-ups. While we're talking on technique of doing home exercises, we've got a pull-up bar and I've tweaked the shoulder before on that. Is it similar to the issue with the push-ups? Absolutely. And I'm glad you, you said that because I was my wheels were turning in my head thinking about that. So a piece of equipment that's portable, cost efficient, and it's good for a lot of total body, like total body movements, upper and lower. And one of the first companies to come out was like TRX with those TRX straps. But I have a set of like gymnastics rings that stay on my rig. So those are really good because you can do like ring rows on those to build up the pull-ups. You can even do inverted rows. If your kitchen table is sturdy enough, you can hang on to the edge and get underneath the kitchen table and do like an inverted row. But pull-ups will give a lot of the same issues because one, pull-ups is your overhand grip. Chin-up would be an underhand grip. Typically is what they differentiate between the two. But pull-ups, you're using a lot of your lats and your lats will internally rotate your shoulder and you turn it down. So if you don't pull your elbows in, a lot of people will kind of get here and like elbows flare again, you know, put a lot of strain right there on that shoulder. So really when you're doing your pull-ups, you have to pull the elbows in to your side, really feel the lats engage and that hand is still out. It's in a good, healthy position. And I like to vary a lot between the chin up and the pull-up. Because the chin up puts the hands and the shoulder in more of that external rotation position and it keeps it, it's a little bit more shoulder friendly. Some people believe that strength training is going to result in bulk. And as endurance athletes, we don't want to be bulky. We want to be right. strong. We want to be aerodynamic. So what's the, the truth and the myth about bulking up? That's a question I get when I train a lot of women. Well, I don't want to lift weights. I don't want to get bulky. I wish it was that simple. I've been trying to get bulky for five years. Uh, I wish it was that easy. So bulk comes from progressively overloading. So kind of what we talked on earlier, you have to a go up in weight. You have to go up in volume. Volume is the amount of sets and reps that you do. So say if you do four sets of 10, that's 40 reps total. And say you do 100 pounds. So 40 times 100, that gives you your total volume for that lift. So in order to create bulk, you have to go up in volume. B, a lot of it's genetics. And then lastly, you have to eat a lot. Like the guys that put on bulk, they're probably eating somewhere around 10,000 plus calories a day. Like <laughs> I, I don't eat that much. I try. I just, I can't get that much food down. That's where I say bulk comes from. It, it is more, it's very specific on how you do it it's volume it's diet like getting a lot of nutrition in and it takes a while so that's i don't think most people have to worry about bulk it, it's more of a that that's the type of person they see who lifts is the, is your bodybuilder type but no you you can lift and not get bulky at all so you mentioned nutrition if a triathlete swimmer runner starts incorporating strength training is there anything they should do to as far as changing their nutrition? I think, you know, between both of that, it's looking at nutrition has come so far, yet it's still one of the few things we, we do not fully understand. You can look at things now where people are looking at sensitivities, 
and some people metabolize food different. But when people think strength training, they think, oh, I need more protein. I need more protein. Well, yes, you need more protein, but you also need more fats. You need more carbs. The key with a lot of that is what source are they coming from? It's probably the same when you're helping your runners. You know, I could eat, I eat a lot of rice because I like it. It digests easy with me. I could eat rice and I can go run. So I do like rice, jasmine rice, brown rice, white rice, not nothing enriched. But let's say you have a plate that has 600 calories and another plate has 600 calories. They both have the same fats, carbs, and proteins. But one is a Big Mac and fries from McDonald's. And the other one is rice, eight ounces chicken, broccoli, spinach, bell peppers, tons of color, tons of carbs. It maybe has an avocado on there for fat. Okay. So which one is going to sustain you longer? Which one is going to give you the nutrients you need? And that's where I tell people when I'm looking at from a nutrition standpoint is like, which one's going to make you feel better? I like to eat food to where if my kid wanted me to go run with them right after I ate, I could go do it. And we all have those meals where you eat it and you're like, oh, it's going to not sit with me real well. I just try to find stuff that sits well so I can go do it. But as far as, you know, increase in nutrition, you do need more protein, but you probably need more protein when you're running, biking, swimming too, because you are breaking down muscles. But I challenge people to get it from food sources. I personally do drink a protein shake every now and then, but if I can get it from a food source, it's usually better long-term versus, versus a shake or something like that. It's always better to chew it because our body has the chemical process that starts in the mouth. So if we can chew the food, it's usually better for us. Yeah. And we've done several episodes on nutrition and I think a lot of people easily know which plate of food is more healthy, but a lot of people really struggle with making those better choices. (laughs) It's like anything. There's, you have to be conscious, conscious decision with it. And you have to, to know that it's going to take more time, but the fast food has became such an entity because it's readily available. You can go through, get it. The other stuff does take preparation. He's going to grocery if you don't already have it, you know? So that's why I like to keep things like I probably got four or five bags of rice in there because I can make a lot of rice up. I can reheat it. I can make eggs to go with it. I can make a tuna pouch to go with it. I can cook 10 chicken breasts on a Sunday and have for the week. So just having those things readily available you can get good nutrient-dense food uh, pretty quickly. So kind of switching gears a little bit, one of the things that we struggle a little bit working with, integrating with our athletes is if they have a commitment to where they want to strength train a certain number of days a week and in an upcoming week, we have maybe a, a heavy training week where they have a VO2 max workout one day and a couple days later they'll have a tempo and then on the weekend they'll have a kind of a long steady run and all of those are pretty taxing where would they layer in lower body strength on a week like that we'd have to look at that we'd probably have to see consider what type of mileage you're going to do it could even be considered once again maybe coming as soon as you finish the run you may come in and you may do some some strength training stuff I'll be honest, though, a lot of times, like, personally, and everyone has to play with it. It takes some time. Personally, like, if I try to run, even doing a little bit of, like, a light workout, sometimes my legs just take a while to get going. I actually have better runs. Now, granted, I'm not running the mileage that endurance athletes are running. I'm talking about, uh, like, three miles is kind of like my like my sweet spot. I'm a 5K, guys. Like, we're going to stay there. But on days when I, I squat first, my legs feel healthy. They feel limber. 
I got the blood flow pumping. I can go run a better pace, more sustainable on my 5K. And then I'll back it up a little bit. The fastest 5K times I have ran were actually when I got into the, that CrossFit. Not saying that you go do CrossFit, but like you touched on earlier, Dean, you got the strength aspect. You got the aerobic and the anaerobic aspect. They put it in like what they call metcons or metabolic conditioning. So those workouts can last anywhere from six to 20 minutes. Well, being able to pace for those workouts, maybe two or three exercises, it actually allowed me to pace my 5K runs better too. It allowed me to actually push a little bit more for systems that I did not develop when I was just running. So that was for those shorter distances. That is one thing that I noticed improved was my run times for like 5Ks actually improved without running while doing cross training styles of stuff. And like I said, it's about about finding that sweet spot for that person. The thing about training, it's a lot of trial and error. You know, when someone's getting ready for a race, you you all talk about nutrition, like, hey, what you had those training runs before your race to do the nutrition that you're going to do on game day. So, you know, if it, how do you handle it? Yeah, simulation. It's going to be exactly. It's going to be the same way with strength training. We'll find the sweet spot. Someone may like, hey, I actually felt better on that type of run. If I do my strength training beforehand versus after I get more out of both. So it is a sliding scale. I wish there was a do this, don't do that. But no, I mean, everybody's different. That's why as coaches, you all and I, we have a job to work. We're the coaches, but just like when you came into the clinic, Dane, a lot of times I was just listening. I was just there to help you put the puzzle together. You brought the pieces. We just need to arrange it in the right order. And that's the, the beauty of the coaching and with each athlete you work with, the individuality of it. Yeah, and a lot of times we will have them do their at least their lower body strength on the same day that they have more of an intense run and before or after is kind of up to them and what works. But we like their recovery days to be recovery. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think sometimes, too, people think of recovery days. Sometimes there's two types of people. There's those that will go in and they'll like, they'll foam roll, massage gun, do some mobility work. Or there's other ones that just hey, it's my recovery day. I'm just going to sit here and not do anything. I think on those recovery days, after a heavy run, the, the foam rolling's good, the massage good's good, the mobility stuff's good. But one thing the body actually needs, it needs a load. And by, by loading it, our joints compress and decompress, which helps push nutrients to the joints. So sometimes on those recovery days, you may not be doing a, a max effort back squat, but you may be doing some form of squatting to stimulate the receptors of the ankles, knees, and hips. So those recovery days could look different. And I think the thing that will benefit runners the greatest is that it's benefited a lot of uh, power lifters I've trained and strength guys I've trained and baseball players I've trained is those recovery days are not passive in terms of the modalities we're doing, but they're actually actively stimulating the muscles. Yeah, definitely. Most of our, uh, from the endurance side, not the strength side, most of our recovery days involve swimming, biking, or running. <laughs> yeah, and that's the that's the the beauty and the, the difficult part about tries, because, I mean, there's so many components that you're having to train. But talked about earlier, when I did strength training, I may be doing some stuff to pre-fatigue a muscle group before I do the exercise. It may be something like that to where if you do, like, a strength training aspect before you get on a shorter bike ride, 
to pre-fatigue those muscles to get more power output to train the system a little bit differently too. So it could be a way that you get a variety in your training and you challenge the system differently than you would have previously. And we're talking a little bit about how to layer it in within a week, but we also work pretty hard at looking at an athlete's year and kind of mapping it out. And we seem to have a lot more success with the overall health of our athletes if once they finished a really intense 16 to 20 week training cycle and do their big A race for the year, then we build in a pretty big recovery cycle before they go into another big training cycle. If you understand what I'm trying to get yeah. at, I didn't know if it was strength training, if you periodized with athletes as well. Yes. Periodization was one of those big things that kind of gave a lot of headway a decade or so ago you know i think there are ways to do that you can have you know your your macro cycle which is like your whole year then your like meso cycle which may be quarters and then in there those micro cycles so you can have that type of periodization in in those models we do do that a lot but it may be like for my athletes their active recovery weeks when we're getting some deload time is we usually try to spend time exploring other uh, athletic stuff. We've played ultimate frisbee. We've got out there and we've done obstacle course racing, trail running, diff- just different stuff to still have an active recovery to deload and, and to work on that periodization. And the hard part with, I would say, with baseball players specifically, that's what I work with a lot. Versus like your triathlete, you know, you may have a race and you know where that one race is and that's the day they need to perform. Well, a baseball player, high school specifically, I may have a star pitcher that has to pitch on a Tuesday one week and then a Thursday next week because those are the teams they're playing. But he also has other games in there too. So we're trying to make sure he's peaking for one pitching performance, recovered from that pitching performance, but still able to play that game on Friday after pitching on Thursday. So there's a lot of moving parts. So I would say, to answer the question, it's always kind of how the athlete feels. Once people start training long enough, and you've probably seen it with your athletes as they're going through the cycle, they know on days when they feel well, and they know on days when they don't feel well. Just listen to that body. Push when you feel like pushing, and you feel up to it. And on days when you don't sleep well, don't eat well, your kids are throwing a bloody fit. Back off. Live to fight another day. And I think that's like more so where I look at the periodization now than specifically looking like hey today we got to do three sets of 10 we got to be at 75 percent of your max how did you sleep how did you eat oh you had a test today how do you feel i'm a little tired let's get in here let's breathe let's start some mobility work then let's start loading it and if you feel better we'll go after it if not hey we live to fight another day we'll get we'll go after it another day in another way yeah and i think that's the hardest thing sometimes to help athletes realize is some days are going to be better than others simply because the body doesn't necessarily distinguish between the fatigue like fatigue is fatigue (laughs) correct it does not know if you are fatigued because you didn't sleep fatigued because you didn't eat fatigued because you just had a two-hour meeting with your boss you know it it does not know stress it is i mean it knows what causes stress but it doesn't know the difference in stress between stress at work stress at home stress because you didn't eat or sleep it is no stress and our, our job is to to calm that stress down, to listen to our body and go from there. So, Kevin, are there a few key strength exercises that are easy and safe that you would recommend for 
swimmer, runner, or cyclist? Absolutely. I think we've already talked on a couple. Learning a good foundation of a push-up. So that's your upper body push movement. So learning a good foundation of the push-up. Engage the core. And I talk about core, not just the belly. Your core is your quads, your glutes as well, and your hammies. Stabilize that. So push-up's good. The pull-up is upper body pull exercise. The difficulty part of it is the push-up's in the horizontal plane. The pull-up's in the vertical plane. So that's where those like TRX straps or those rings are really good because it's a reverse push-up. You got a horizontal pull. You can engage the core. It's better on the, the shoulder joints because you're pulling into scapular traction. Because swimmers, a lot of times, when people are swimming triathlons, they're in the freestyle position. Well, you get overhead. You get that internal rotation, thumb down, coming through the water, correct? Is that how the freestyle is? It's more of a, a flat or a, or a slightly thumb up good. entry. Yeah. yeah. And I noticed, like, I was, like, and those are those are real good positions. I know it's like the uh, the freestyle with it is because it is so much of an overhead repetitive movement too. So that's why I like the ring row because you're already doing all that overhead movement. I like to kind of combat that to work the horizontal puller. So that's why the ring row I like is really good to kind of combat some of the overhead stuff you may see from the freestyle position. As far as the the lower body, you can learn. The squat, because that's going to train the glutes, the quads, and the hamstrings. But I like to even break down the squat into single leg stuff. So you could do reverse lunges are one of my favorite exercises. Now you got one hip flexing, one hip extending. It works the glutes. It works stabilization. Plus, it works right versus left. So you can see, especially for your, you know, your traffic, where you're always running in this pattern. And then you go on the bike and you're doing almost the same pattern again, right? So you may find when you do those reverse lunges that you may have more difficulty balancing when your right leg goes back versus your left leg. So that gives you something to look at objectively too. So, go ahead. I was going to say in the reverse lunge kind of works the hip extensors extending to where you get a lot of hip flexion from the bike, especially when you're down. And from running, you get a lot of that hip flexion repetitive. That's why I like the reverse lunge. It kind of breaks you out of those patterns that you're in for uh, triathletes a lot. Anything else you wanted to bring up? The big things I'll talk about again is like finding a program that fits your needs and is enjoyable. You know, as well as anybody, if it's not enjoyable, you're probably not going to do it. So definitely find something that's enjoyable. It will make it much more sustainable. We always include a Bible verse. In our podcast, do you have one or? I actually do. I have a, on my arm, I have a Galatians 2.20 tattooed. And it's kind of a reminder to me, and I'll read it real quick, but it's Galatians 2.20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And, and I had that tattooed on my arm as a reminder that, this life I was given was given to me uh, by my father who gave his son so that we may, we may live. And it's powerful because a lot of times I get caught up in not just going through the motions, but I I would get caught up in doing things like, well, I need to do this because it's going to get me somewhere when really I never had that. God sent his son down the cross and he, him giving his life was the ultimate, you know, salvation for us to get to heaven. Nothing, not saying that my good deeds don't get me there. 
his ultimate sacrifice is in his son is what gets me there. And I, I, I keep that to remind myself that there is someone who gave it all so that I can live, so I can be a father or help people in the clinic or, or do strength training. So it's just a good reminder to me day in and day out. Yeah, that's a great scripture. Yeah, that scripture is always a good reminder to me to not get so focused on the here and now and this right. life, but eternity <laughs> is what matters. Yes, and I have found like, especially during the pandemic, I put a, a focus not longer on the outward stuff, no longer financial gains and things like that. And it's amazing when you focus on on yourself and developing yourself to be a whole person and to helping like-minded people. The other stuff tends to follow. And it's a, it's, it's good when you don't focus on it primarily, but you focus on the things that we're sent here to focus on. You know, those other things, they follow you. And not that we're here to live lavishly, but we're here to help people to be a beacon for someone. You know, my passion, my calling is the physical therapy aspect of things. I was able to put it together with the strength training and blend the two. Helping people truly is uh, the greatest thing that, that I do. And I enjoy it every day. And just being here and sharing that gift that I was given is a blessing. Well, Kevin, we really appreciate you being on the podcast. I know our listeners have enjoyed it. I'm sure you'll be seeing me soon in person. And I'm hoping you don't have to see me anytime soon. (laughs) Me either. Hopefully, you know, we'll get you both back to running and going to full steam ahead. All right. Thanks, Kevin. Hey, thank you all. Well, we really enjoyed interviewing Kevin Booth, who has a doctorate in physical therapy and is a certified strength and conditioning coach. And he was very informative on how to do strength training and why to do strength training with the goal of staying healthy. Yeah. So all you athletes out there, at least start incorporating push-ups and reverse lunges into your regimen of strength training each week. Yeah. And if you have any questions, you can reach Kevin at primitiveperformanceobky at gmail.com. At RYR Endurance Team, We specialize in customized coaching. What is customized coaching? It's more than a training plan. It's a relationship. It's a partnership. So what are your goals? What are you training for? Contact us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or visit us on our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening.